nice having Lindsay here. She's been going back. She's been going back and forth to school in Maine, and uh, poor, poor Derek's been all alone. Everyone go, aww. But, uh, but we're just so glad. <laughs> we're so glad to have you here. Look who else I brought back here. You guys remember Dylan Allen? Dylan, Dylan uh, came to us one Memorial Day where we had a color guard carrying the flags, and he came back to church and came back to church and began to just, God just began to turn the light on to his heart and into his life, and we felt that one of the, the next great steps that could happen for him would be to go to Teen Challenge, which is a program, a rehabilitation program, Christ-centered, Christ-answered, uh, oriented program, and so he went there. He's been there now for nine months. And God is doing incredible things in his life. I told him he has a minute and a half. A minute and a half. But I wanted him to greet you. Can you just give him a thunderous welcome back home? Welcome home. That's it. Amen. Amen. Praise the living God. He's alive and well in this place. Man, it feels so good to be back home. See familiar faces, smiling faces. Um, just real quick, I want to thank you guys. Thank the congregation for showing me the true love of Christ to just accepting me where I was at. Um, so thank you so much. Um, you know, life isn't always puppies and skittles and rainbows, as Pastor Paul would say, and it's not that way a teen challenge, but man, I'm walking in the call that God has in my life. You know, I have a twin-sized bed on the top bunk of a, uh, a six-man room, and that's, you know, I got a closet with clothes, but I've never felt more fulfilled in my life, never felt more satisfied in my life, because I know that God's with me. And uh, as before the service, you know, I was talking to Pastor Paul and I said, you know, this is the verse that's written on the wall in our sanctuary at Teen Challenge and it's given me so much hope. And uh, Isaiah says the word of God, he says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And that's exactly what he's done for me. That's exactly what he's done for me. Thank you. I happen to really appreciate his wonderful British accent, too. It's actually Southie boy. It's awesome, man. Thanks for packing my car. I, I just, I'm so proud of you, kid. So proud of you. God's done great things in your life, and the best is yet to come. And uh, I believe that God has a call in his life. He may very well go from there into Bible college and into ministry as well. And uh, doesn't mean that anyone that goes into ministry is any closer to God than anyone else, but some of us, God puts his hands on us and he directs us in those ways so that we can rally everybody to be the best that they can be in Christ. And so um, we look forward to seeing what God's going to do with your life. Amen? Amen. Join me in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, be with us here. Speak the truth, speak the truth in love. Lord, we honor your word and we allow it to be heard. We don't want to preach fancy ideas and quibs and quotes. We want to do what you said to Timothy through Paul, preach the word. So now, Lord, as we go to Hosea chapter 2, speak the word into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I never do this, but Pastor Dylan, I misplaced the water that you gave me. If there's a way that, there it is. See, he knows everything. I'm like, where's my water? Where are my keys? Where's my home? We've been uh, going through a series we call the original spoken word, and we just, in this church, we want to know the word, and so we are in the book of Hosea now, and the picture tells it all in the story that God calls this man of God, this prophet, to marry an unfaithful woman, and so she does, and he does, and then she does what she normally does. She's constantly looking over her shoulder at the next cute guy and the next cute opportunity and causes this man deep grief and yet along with that grief God basically says to Hosea Hosea I want you to uh, if we could turn the volume up on this just a little bit because it it impacts the recording of this as well too thank you so much Julius um the the, the story of this God said I want people to understand how I feel and so what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to allow you, Hosea, to live out a story with your wife that is similar to what I live out with the children of Israel or to us, the church, 
with Jesus Christ. I want somebody else to understand the, my pain. I want somebody else to feel my grief. And I want you to be a metaphor. I'm going to use it as a metaphor and an illustration. And so the book of Hosea is just such a powerful book because there's some words that have pictures to them that just stand out. And for those of you that were here last week, this will sound familiar, but the biggest word in this book is the word shuv, which is the Hebrew word of repent, which means actually not to just repent, it means to return. It doesn't just mean to return, but it means to turn. And what this shows us is that repentance isn't just words. I, have you ever seen two kids fight in a sandbox and then you say, now make up and say you're sorry. And what do they do? Sorry. That's not sorry. That's just, and it's, and you ever see a kid that's like, say you're sorry. And they're like, sorry. And then they go right back to the same behavior. That's not repentance either. Repentance from the book of Hosea shows us that it's not just in word but it's in behavior and deed. You turn your back, what's behind you, and you put your eyes forward on, on God, on Jesus, and you begin to walk towards him. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have, every once in a while, you might have a weak moment where you might stumble and fall. That's not the end of your story. That doesn't make you worthless. But if I'm going to fall and I'm going to fail, I want to do it in the right direction. I would rather be three inches from hell with my back to it than 3,000 miles away from it, looking right towards it and running towards it. And that's what this woman, Hosea's wife, Gomer, is doing. She's racing towards it. She's running towards it. And God says, no, if you're going to repent, you need to turn. And it's not just turning away from one thing, it's returning to me. It's about chasing me, following me. And so many people in the church today, all across the world, you ask them, hey, do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus? And they're like, yeah, oh yeah, I know him. Now in the Hebrew language, if I want to shut you up, I will look at you and I'll say, yada, yada, yada. That means, I know, I know, I know. How many of you have teenage kids? I know, I know, I know. Stop talking to me. If I want you to understand that I hear you from the bottom of my heart in Hebrew, I'll look at you and say, Aninibea. I understand. I know. It's the same word. That same exact word is used in Hosea and all throughout Scripture of the most intimate knowledge. You see, knowing God isn't just here, it's experiential. In fact, in the book of Genesis, it says it's used for the most intimate relationship. It says Adam knew Yada, Eve, and she bore a child. It's intimacy. It's closeness. It's, it's a word that's used over and over again through Scripture. And then, finally, the last big word in this whole book of Hosea is the whole concept of what it is to forsake God. And we talked a lot about this last week. But forsaking God, literally the picture of it means is that you take God who's in front of you, who is the center of your attention, who is the center of your conversation, who is what your life is all about, and then you move him in back of you so that you're free to go about and do what you want. And then every once in a while when the voice of the Lord is coming to you saying, hey, that's not a good idea. What? What's that? Huh? Oh, never mind. And you just, you're, you, now you have, instead of making Jesus your pursuit, instead of making Jesus the center of your life, instead of allowing Jesus to weigh in, God Almighty to weigh on in your decision, he becomes an ad hoc addendum, a footnote, an end note, however it is, if you want to do it in Trabian or Chicago Manual Style or MLA, but he's just at the bottom, but he's not the center subject and he's not written into the story. And so the children of Israel and Hosea's wife, Gomer, forsook the Lord, put the Lord behind her so that she was free to roam about the country. And so many times in my life, in my moments of stupidity, I always find that I get in the greatest trouble when I'm not keeping the Lord central, where I'm not asking how does he feel about this, what does he think about it, when I'm not in his word and allowing him to weigh in on my life, but I have him in back of me in the back seat, and I say, I'm in charge, I know where I'm going, I know how to guide my life, hop in the back seat, Jesus, and the Lord's like, hey man, let Jesus take the wheel. I know where to take you. So that Jesus is tired of being taken for a ride by the bride. He wants the wheel back. Do you like that rhyming? <laughs> ride by the bride. <laughs> Sorry. All right. And this brings us to chapter 2 of Hosea. And it just, this, can I just tell you in advance, this is a powerful word. This is a prophetic word, which means that Heaven's going to be speaking direct into your heart, but there's also a challenging word. And you will have a choice on what to do with this word. But if you mix it with faith and you receive it, 
if it rubs you the wrong way, it probably means Jesus is messing with you and there's something in your life that needs to change. Here's how you know the difference between a word from God and a word from yourself or a word from the world. When you read the prophets, they get in your business, in your face. If the only words that you hear, from, in the Old Testament, all of the words of the false prophets were always, it's going to be great, it's going to be good, God is with you. But you know what? We can't ask God to bless what we do. It comes down to the blessing of God is, is that we're doing what he can bless. And so the prophets will always speak the word of God into your behavior, into your thinking, and will sometimes rub you the wrong way because they're saying this isn't how God thinks. This isn't how God wants you to live your life. And they'll push back and they'll challenge you. But here's how you know sometimes that it's also God speaking to you. Not only does God challenge us, but he also always offers hope. If you have somebody who says that they got a word from God for you, and, and they, they're challenging your behavior, but there's no hope. There's nothing that says, if you yield to God, if you, if you obey the voice of the Lord, if you walk away from this and walk towards that, I will pour out my blessing. I will change your life. I will take the narrative and the story of where you're at and bring you places you never imagined possible. God not only challenges us, but he also cherishes us and he's able to do, he can turn a story around that is so far from him and so, so destroyed and so rotted and so decomposed, he can just turn it back into life in a moment's notice. God always offers hope at the end of, it, of his challenges. And we find this in the book of Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah. We could go on and on and on. And so we find ourselves here now in chapter 2 of Hosea. And if you would, turn there with me. I'm going to read from the ESV. If you would like, there are white Bibles under the pews in front of you. You can grab one of those. Uh, if you have our church app, you can go there under Bible and open it up. That's in ESV as well, but you can choose any version. doesn't matter how you grab it. I'd encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, grab one. Best investment you'll ever make in your life. Here it is. Now, up to this point, the story has gone like this. God says, go marry a woman of unfaithfulness. He marries, he marries her, and sure enough, she shows herself to be what God described her to be, and she no sooner is out the door and she's off with other people, other men choosing and pursuing what she wants. <clears throat> but now God begins to weigh in and he turns his ear in chapter two to her. And he listens to this woman, Gomer is her name, and she begins to say what she's going to do. Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it like this and I'm going to do it like that. And I'm after this and I'm after that. And then God, after he's, he listens to her talk, he says, are you done? Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And he challenges her behavior. He challenges her thinking. And then at the end, God does something so beautiful and so blessed. It blows my mind. Because we serve a good God who doesn't love us for what we do or can do for him. He loves us because he wants us to belong to him. And so with that in mind, listen and read along with me as we read chapter Two of the book of Hosea. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and from her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day that she was born, and make her like a wilderness, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will, listen to this, this is a very important statement. This is her saying what her life is about. I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, now this is God saying what he's going to do. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband, uh, to my first husband, for it was better for me then than it is here now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for 
Baal, worshiping false gods. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, and her new moon, and her Sabbaths, and all her appointed festivals. And I will let, in other words, God's saying, I'm going to end all the parties. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, which she, uh, she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for her feasts, days of the Baal, the false god Baal, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Here comes God's hope. And there I will give her, her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will no longer call me my husband. Uh, you, will, you will call me my husband, and you will no longer call me my master, my Baal. Father, in the name of Jesus, once again, I pray that we would know the truth, and the truth would set us free. Honor your word above your name. Speak. Your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. This woman goes and has four statements. They're like life verses for her. And really, if I were to title the message today, it would be Runaway Bride. And here she goes, and she is on the run because she says this, I will go after my lovers who give me. Right there, there's a problem in this statement right from the beginning. She is on the run, not from the beloved Jesus who should be the center of her life, or Hosea, her husband in this case, but she's going after her, not lover, she's going after lovers. She's got so many, and what's amazing about this is that she never even gives any one of them a single name. She never mentions them by name. You know why? Because none of them mattered to her because she wasn't with them for them. She was with them for what she could get from them. She said this, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water. In other words, these are the people that take me out to eat. They wine me and dine me. They're going to provide my daily needs of life. I'll get what I need. It doesn't matter. I don't have to stay here with my husband. I can go out with these people. And in fact, if I go out with them, I'll probably eat much nicer. I'll get flowers. I'll get desserts. I'll get meals and everything will be wonderful. And then she goes on and she makes this other statement about the lovers she's chasing. She's not chasing the lovers. She's chasing the stuff and the things. And she says this, I'll go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax. What in the world's wool? What's flax? Wool is what they made clothing from in the time of, of the Bible, in the time of Hosea. And flax is almost, a t it's a plant, but they would also make clothing and materials from that as well. And this is the stuff that it says of the woman in Proverbs 31, 13. She seeks her wool and flax and works with her hands. It's, it's, the, it's the same idea as like silk. It's, it's the same idea as like any kind of thread. So there's different, she says, I'm gonna have average clothing and I'm gonna have nice, beautiful clothing. They're gonna totally adore me. They're gonna take me out shopping. They're gonna buy, and let me tell you what, as a pastor through the years, I've watched so many people, so many married people, so many people before marriage that are taking somebody out and they're whining and dining them and they're buying them all kinds of stuff and they're sleeping with them and they have no right being in bed together according to the word of God. That is called fornication, and it is called adultery, and it is sin. And it will find you out. God says, listen to this girl. He's like, this is my bride. This is my, she's supposed to be my bride. And then she goes on, and she adds to it. She says, they will give me my oil and my drink. What in the world is that? This is my perfumes, my liquor, my party. They will totally dress me nice, feed me nice, shower me with all kinds of stuff, take me out. I will drink what I need to. I will smell the way that I like. I'll have oil for my lamp. You know what's amazing? Psalm 119 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet. And you know what? The oil of God in our life, and we have the oil of God's Holy Spirit in our life, and we light that, and we let the light of God show us. He gives us a sure path in the darkness. But if you're chasing other lights and other oils and other, 
other, other forms of lighting the path of your way, it doesn't always lead to a happily ever after, does it? And this woman is saying in her heart of hearts, she's saying this, she's saying, you're not my source, God. I make my own fate. Some, I've heard this statement over and over again. God helps those who help themselves. So Lord, get out of my way. I'm going to help myself and take care of myself. And she's doing exactly what Hosea says, that they did not acknowledge the Lord. They forsook the Lord. She puts God in back of her. And she says, Lord, get out of my way. I know how to do this better. And then she says, Lord, you and I are good, right? And the Lord just sits there and says, man, you're so far away from me, you don't even realize it. She was saying, I really don't care about anyone or anything. And here's the sadness of this story. She dragged her kids along for this ride as well. Or if we were talking about a guy, he abandoned his kids or dragged them through this madness as well. How many kids in our country are dragged through the madness of somebody where the whole time heaven is looking at them saying, please come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. I have good things for your life. If you'll follow me, if you'll put me before you, if you'll walk in my ways, I will do things in your life that you could never, ever do of your own accord. And God still calls out across the universe to us individually. And God says, you know what, Gomer, I heard what you had to say. I've got some declarations back at you. You didn't know that it was I that gave you these things. You see, when God is placed behind us, we lose sight of who is really our true source. When we put God out of the driver's seat and put him in the back seat and we move him from pole position to anywhere except what's in front of us, and it's so sad, I said this before, but she never even gives any of her lovers a single name because they were nothing to her. It was what she was getting out of the relationship. You know, in the, in the Greek language, there are different ways of saying love. There is phileo, it's like a friendship love. And then there's eros, which is an intimate marital love. But agape stands out different from all other loves in this. All the other loves have to do with the pleasure that it gets out of something that it loves. Out of the gratification of friendship, out of the gratification of a marital relationship, there's a give and a take. The difference of that versus the love of God, what's used in terms of God of agape, is God doesn't love us for what he can get out of us. He loves us because of the value he sees in us. Nobody loves us like him. That's what makes the love of God such a treasured commodity that we should always value. Here's a quote worth repeating. We were made for God dependence with gratitude, not independence with attitude. Every single blessing in our life, we should be pausing and reminding ourselves, God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Because the Bible says it like this, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. We're really big on gratitude in our house. Really big on it. Because I believe that, have you ever done something for somebody and they just totally took advantage of it and they were totally ungrateful? Thanks. Or, okay. And then they take off. And then they come back to you another time seeking again from you. How many of you are thrilled to help that person? Like, oh yeah, you're on the take. Gotcha, right? Yep, hey man, love to help you, but... No, we need to be treating God with dependency and gratitude. Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. Not independence and attitude. And here's the crazy thing of this woman's life. She had two paces in this relationship. And this is a picture in her, in her runaway bride status. When she's running from Hosea. When Israel is running from God. When the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, is running from their Savior. And not even realizing that we're not fulfilling our commitment to him in a marital relationship. In a, in a covenant relationship with him. She starts walking after. She says, I will go after my lovers. And then later on, she, God says, you pursue, pursued your lovers. The first one is a walk. The second one is a full throttle stride, pursuing and chasing after. Let's talk about the first one first, the walk. She said, I will go after my lovers, literally to walk after. In Hebrew, the Hebrew word for this is halakha. Right now, if I were to say, what am I doing? You'd be like, oh, halakha, you're walking. Uh, I'm, I'm walking on the way. But it's not just the idea of walking around. It's the number one metaphor of living out a life 
that is devoted and dedicated to God. It's the way of walking, the halakab. The, the, the teachers of the Bible back in the time of Jesus had a teaching called the halakha, which looked at, believe it or not, they've counted them, 613 commandments from God. And they talked about, this is how you walk out not to steal in your life. And the rabbis would talk about it. Well, if I steal to feed my family, is that sin? If I borrow a paperclip without asking, is that sin? And they go through and they debate and they leave you to figure out, like, what's, what's morally right? What's morally wrong here? Is, and uh, if the world was black and white and never gray, there'd be no need for wisdom. So the teachers of the law said, let me go through halakha and teach you how to live out your walk. And when somebody comes up to you, a pastor comes up to you, an elder in this church, a leader comes up to you and say, how's your walk with Jesus? How's your walk with the Lord? What we're asking is, is how are you living out your daily Christianity? Is praise coming out of your mouth or is profanity coming out of your mouth? What are you putting in your life? How's your walk? Are you, are you drinking deep of the love of Jesus or are you pounding shots at the bar? What, do you, what is your life really like? How's your walk with Jesus? Does it reflect that you're walking with him? And in fact, the whole book of Hosea ends like this, talking about this idea of, of walking. In chapter 14, 8 and 9, it says this, your first fruit comes from me. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise? Let him realize these things. Who is discerning? Let him understand the way of the Lord is right and the righteous walk in them, halakha. But, but the rebellious stumble in them. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. If you are, it, it, I'll tell you what, it's easy to obey God when you have a surrendered life. But when you're refusing to surrender, when you're refusing to yield, when the Holy Spirit is pricking, pricking conviction on your life and says, I don't care how it feels, it's wrong. You resist that, you're gonna stumble in the way of God. You're never gonna be able to walk in that. But it's when you totally surrender and say, Lord, I've done it my way, it hasn't worked, I yield to you. What do you want me to do? Just tell me what you want me to do. What do you want me to get rid of? I'll get rid of it. What do you want me to add to my life? I'll add it. And all of a sudden, it's like this natural walk. It's been a blessing hanging out with Dylan Allen at my house for the past two days because the whole time I'm listening to how his walk with God is going and the whole time I keep hearing out of him is this humility and this brokenness of like I don't care man I just want God I'm tired of living my life I don't want to go back to that anymore but yet I've, I've listened to many other people that have gone through Teen Challenge and they're like man these rules terrible they can't, they, I, it, they're ridiculous and I don't have to work in that way I, I should be able to get a job in this place or whatever and that person's going to stumble in their walk with God because they're not yielded they're not surrendered they're not broken but I've not only seen that in Teen Challenge I've seen that in churches all over Christians all over God wants us to yield to him to to have a real walk with him in fact the Bible says this that Adam that God, Adam heard God walking halakha in the garden in the cool of the day. It says about a man named Enoch, it says he walked with God and then he was no more for the Lord took him. It says in 1 John chapter, chapter 1 verse 6, if we claim to be in the light and yet walk in darkness, the truth is not with us. Again, repentance is not just lip service, it's behavioral. You turn, you return to God, you turn from what's there. You can't say, I'm in the light, I'm in the light, and you're in somebody else's bed, and you're, in, you're, you're at the bar pounding shots, and, and you're talking like trash out of your mouth, like, like you just came out of prison. Like you, you can say everything you want, but the truth is in the walk. The truth is in the walk. And notice, listen, it doesn't mean that you won't stumble. It doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean, but if you're always having to cover up, conceal, or being dismissive with that behavior versus, oh my goodness, I can't believe I messed up. God, please work in my life. Change me or whatever. There's a difference between that and somebody who's like, ain't no big deal. That doesn't apply to me. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight says this, for at one time you were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. Are you walking with him or is he behind you? Do you dis Listen, this could be a sign. I want to give you some indicators to see if you're really walking with him or if he's behind you and he's just being taken along for a walk. It goes like this. You may be spiritually like Gomer going after, walking after things, if you're dismissive when your conscience 
is nudged by the Holy Spirit. When God pricks your conscience and is saying this is wrong and you know it and you need to change, you need to stop talking about it and thinking about it, you need a behavioral change, and you just dismiss that and say, nah, no thanks. You might be Gomer. You might be Gomer if you're dismissive of others when they call you out on your conduct and on your behavior and you either have excuses or you just downright don't even care what they have to say. You might be Gomer. If you've set down God's voice in your life through his word, you might be Gomer. She says this, I will go after, I'll walk after my lovers. She should have had a walk with God, but instead she had a lifestyle of whoredom. And I say this lovingly, but I say this pastorally. How about you? Where are you at? Do you have a walk with Jesus? Do you really have a walk with Jesus? Or would your behavior not line up with your confession? I'm not talking about perfection. We talked about this last week. It's not perfection. It's direction. It's, it's direction. It's how you handle correction and all of those kind of things. Are you really walking with him? There are 165 hours in a week. Is this the only context that you have a relationship with Jesus? Because that's 2% of your week. I'm being kind. It's like 1.65% of your week. Is this the extent of your relationship with Jesus showing up on a Sunday morning? Because think about this. this. What if God responded to you in the percentage that you respond to him? Now, I'm so grateful that God doesn't operate with us that way, but I put that challenge out to you. What if God were going to say, I will bless your life in proportion to the, how you're dedicated to me. I will be dedicated to you in proportion. Now, how many of you know marriage is a give and take? And they usually take in when, when you don't want them to. It's a, it's a, marriage is about a give and a take and it's an adjustment. And, and listen, when it comes to Jesus and us being the bride of Christ, we need to be in a give and take relationship with him. It's not just give me blessing, give me this, give me that. But sometimes the Lord wants to ask you, and you know what the Lord says to you? If anyone would come after me, be my bride, be my disciple. No, you're not going to have puppies, skittles, rainbows, and blessing. You know what you're going to do? Your greatest moments in your life are not going to come from, from these anointed, incredible moments. They're going to be measured out of your sacrifice. When you deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow me. Some of the closest moments that I've ever had with Christ have not come out of moments like this preaching or crowds or they've come out of moments of brokenness where God says, are you going to give it to me or aren't you? And I just say, yes, God, please. And then the beauty of Jesus and the presence of the Lord reminds me I'm not alone in this life, that he's with me. He never leaves and forsakes me. This will sound harsh, but the book of Hosea is wording it this way. And this is, a, this is a challenge I put out to you, but I felt really impressed with the Lord to say this and to say it in this way. If God were to look at your life and have you take an honest look at it, would he be able to call you his bride or would he say that you are acting like a spiritual whore? Are you his? Are you really his? Do you belong to him? Is he your everything? Is he the center of your life? Is he your all in all? She not only walks after her things, but then the Bible says that she pursues them. God says this of her, you will pursue, she will pursue her lovers. She won't overtake them, but she's going to definitely try. She's got an idea of how the story will go. And I see this through the years of, of my life when it comes to being a pastor or a minister. I watch people and and their pursuit in the wrong directions. And I'm like, I can tell you how the story's gonna end based off of how little or much you're writing God into the story of your life, how little or much you're chasing after him versus chasing after the, the desires of what you want. And in Hebrew, the word that's used here for pursue is a Hebrew word called radaf. It's used in the story of David and Goliath. We know it, it's a famous one. David is, comes down, He's got the, Goliath the giant has an entire nation of people trembling. He says, send down your best man. I'll, I'll kill him. And finally, David, who's a young man, he comes down and he says, I'll take him. And everyone's like, you're going to take him? Wait a second. And, and David goes down and he kills the giant. And the Bible says he took the sword of Goliath 
cuts off Goliath's head. And the Bible says it like this, the children of Israel gained courage and the men of Israel and Judah rose up with a shout and they pursued, they redoffed the Philistines and they cut them down all the way from the valley where David killed Goliath all the way to the front door where they walked into where they were going. It's a pursuit that chases after something. You know what's amazing on the goodness, speaking about the goodness of God? When you read Psalm chapter uh, 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside this. He does this and that and the other thing, right? And then it says that the right at the end, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Watch this. I want you to do something. Follow my lead. Simon says, raise your right hand. Simon says, put it down. Simon says, stand up to your feet. Good. Excellent. Okay, sit down. Simon didn't say sit down. Ah, you guys used to win this game when you were kids, didn't you? Siente por favor, shuvalakise. Anjuseo, have a seat. Got it in Korean, Hebrew, and Spanish, and English. All right. That's what Rodolph is. Uh, uh, and so it, it, following, following after someone, me, like how we just did, is this kind of thing. If you were to follow me around the room, you would never quite make connection with me. You would just follow my lead, lift your hand, put it down, walk behind me. That's not what it's saying about goodness and mercy. It's the Hebrew root Rodolph, which is the one that says that, you know what, good, when you make the Lord your shepherd, when you follow him instead of making him behind you, following you, when you chase after him instead of chasing after your lovers that give you your wool and your linen, your oil and your flax, your bread and your drink, when you follow the Lord and make him your shepherd, goodness and mercy are in hot pursuit of your life and there is no escaping it and when it gets a hold of your life it will overtake you and totally utterly slaughter you with goodness how many of you know that god how many of you know that jesus that's what a life and a walk with jesus leads to an inevitable destiny of being overtaken with goodness and mercy that don't just follow behind you but overtake you and that's why second timothy 2:22 says this so flee youthful passions but pursue righteousness faith love peace along with those who call on the lord from a pure heart i remember my father said this to me once and it's a quote worth repeating be careful what you chase you just might catch it i say it again be careful what you chase after you're probably going to catch it not all things that you pursue are worth and and let me tell you what the chase is a lot more exciting than the possession of something if you don't have agape love for it, but you only have a love from the pleasure that you're going to get from the thing that you chase and get. That's why God refers to his love as an agape. Listen, I chase after you because I value you. I pursue you because I value you, not because you're going to do anything for me, but because I, I value you and I love you and I will treasure you and you will be uh, this is kind of hard for us as guys to hear. You will be my princess, right? You'll be my bride. This is one of those metaphors that kind of breaks down with guys. But ladies, you're right with me on this one, right? The bride of Christ. And they're like, I ain't nobody's bride, man. Come on, give me a break. But, but it's a beautiful metaphor. And I tell you what, I put in the notes, and I'm not going to refer to it right now, but I, I put in there a whole list of what the results of backsliding are. When you put the Lord behind you and you walk away from him and you chase after your own pursuits, listen, you never achieve the purpose you intend to get. I know people that said that my story's gonna go like this and I'm leaving and I'm doing that. And it never ended like that. And then they had all joy and all expectation of how the story was gonna go. And then they find out that they're joyless because nothing with God is better than everything without him. And just because you chase after something doesn't mean that you get it in the way that you thought you would have it. She's a runaway bride. But here's now God says, all right, I've listened to you, Gomer. I have some things I want to tell you. God says to Israel, I've listened to you. Let me tell you how the story's going to go. Jesus says to us as his bride, as his church today, I've heard you. Let me tell you how the story ends when you do it this way. Here's what's really going to happen. You are going to go after them. And there is pleasure in sin for a season, but I'm going to do a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to take back. Listen to this verse, chapter two, Hosea 2, 9 and 10. We read it. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, my wine in its season. I will take back my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness, and I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hands. When you write God out of your story or the details of your life, he eventually removes his blessing from you. Why? Because he was the one that provided those things anyway. 
Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. He gave you the strength and the wit for you to get where you are in life right now. He's given you the resource and opportunity and the, that are before you because of his blessing. And I can tell you how your story will end based off of how you keep God before you or not. Now remember, we're not talking about perfection here. There's nobody perfect. The Bible says in James 2, we all stumble in different ways. But it is not perfection, but it's direction. And if you're sitting here going in this way and God's saying, return to me and turn to me, the story's written, the end's written at the beginning. God says, listen, I'm going to take it back. Why? Because God's cruel? Because he wants to? No, because you forget who the source really is. God is saying, I am your source. And not only does he say that, but he says, I will uncover you. I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. He's saying, I'm going to expose your unfaithfulness to everyone. Uh, I'm going to walk down in front of, the, in front of the, the speakers real quick, but just, I'm going to do it again, bro. You guys have been working up there, or I should say, you, yeah, here it goes. This is, might be feedback Hades right now. You ready? Hey, you back on. I want to tell you a moment in my life where God exposed me. I was a new Christian, and uh, I totally, I'm going to tell you right now, to this day, I love drugs. I love them. I loved, I did everything except intravenous use of heroin. And the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. I'm not going to lie to you. I was loving that ride. It was awesome. But that path leads to, to, to an end of a terrible story. And God cared too much about me to leave me where I was at. So the Lord decided he would expose me. And so I was, I was in a church, 50 people, and this man came from Ghana, Africa. Where are my Ghanans right here? There you are. Great man of God. His name was Brother Enti. That's all I remember of him. But he was a very famous evangelist in the country back in the 80s. God brought him. Yes, I'm that old. God brought him to, <laughs> God brought him to the States. He was preaching all over the place. And he would speak in front of crowds of 50 and 100,000. But then he came to my little church, 50 people. He was, it wasn't the crowd. It, it was the call that drove him. And while he was there, I just decided, hey, Jesus is a pretty awesome ride. But man so is so are drugs this is awesome what if i take the chocolate and mix it in the peanut butter and see how this works and that was my rationale so he shows up at our church while i'm in this path running after and he goes he's about to preach nobody preaches like an african i'm sorry you have to tolerate my preaching guys because nobody preaches like an african he goes and he stops and he tilts his head sideways and he looks at me i got to do this with somebody um uh, who I'm not going to freak out here. Uh, uh, he does it, I, gotta, I just really, I don't want to freak anyone out here. But, but David, all right, David, I'm coming after you here. He stops and he walks and he starts going in the aisle. And there's a lot more space here, but he's like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Everybody's like, is this guy crazy? And then he comes here and he's standing in front of me. And he goes, young man, I came all the way from Ghana, Africa to preach a message at this church. But while I was up there, the Lord told me, I need to stand here and preach this message to you. And he stood in front of me and he named names. He detailed my sin. And he would be like, God loves his children, but the children of disobedience. <laughs> and I am telling you, that Bible verse that says that the people in the end times say, let the rocks and the mountains fall on us. I wanted to die. <laughs> I'm going to go in front of the speaker here. I wanted... I wanted to die. And I felt like somebody just stripped me naked in front of a bunch of people who accepted me in love and thought the best of me at my worst moment. I was so ashamed. Because God refused to allow me to think of myself the way I wanted to think about myself. He said, I'm going to show you what and who you really are. Because I care about you too much to allow you to stay the same. So I'm going to provoke a change in your life, Paul. And that's what he did. Not out of cruelty, but out of love. And God says to Gomer, he says, I will expose your lewdness to your lovers, not to her husband, but to your lovers. In other words, you've been jumping in bed with everybody else, but I'm going to begin to have those people you've been jumping in bed with, they're going to walk in you, and they're going to walk in on you when you're in bed with somebody else, and nobody's going to want you anymore. Because I'm going to show them who you are and what you are. Because listen, reputation is what man thinks you are. Character is what God knows you are. 
He says, I'm going to show you for the lack of deficit of character that you have because I care too much about you, Gomer. I love you too much. Not because of the pleasure you give me, but because of the value I see in you. And this is the beautiful part of the story. God all of a sudden goes into this motif, this illustration, this metaphor of the wilderness, and he says this, he says, therefore behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm really going to land this now. I'll allure into the wilderness. What in the world's wilderness? Those of you that are going to Israel with us, by the way, a few spots have opened. If anyone has any interest, the squeeze is worth the juice. You will want to be on this trip. See me if you'd like to, but look at this. That's the wilderness. I go to this spot often. There is nothing in there. In fact, that's the imagery of a shepherd. We talked about this a while back. She says, I'll bring her into the wilderness. Why the wilderness? Why is God bringing her into that place? There's nothing there exactly. Because sometimes God has to remove all of the decoration, all of the noise, all of the this, that, and the other thing. And he brings you into a place. He says, you know what? I'm going to bring you into a place where I have your undivided attention. Some of the greatest moments in biblical history happened in the wilderness. Abraham was told that he would be a great nation. Moses received his calling at the burning bush. Elijah saw the back of God. In fact, in the Song of Solomon, it says, Behold, the beloved comes up out of where? Out of the wilderness. David wrote some of the most beautiful songs for worship while he was a young man alone in the wilderness. You see, she was distracted by all kinds of things, but God said, I'm going to remove this. This party's over. I need to bring you back to me. And he says something really funny that kind of is weird. And if you don't know geography of the Bible and you don't know language, you can miss this. He says, I'll lure you into the wilderness and the valley of Acre will become a door of hope. What in the world's that? You just read over that and be like, whatever. Here's what it is. In the beginning of Israel's history, when they were coming into the land of promise, God said, the first city belongs to me. I want this to be my tithe. It's the first. Don't touch it. All of it belongs to me. Leave your hand off of it. I will give you plenty and bless you, but the first belongs to me. Honor that. And so they come into Jericho, and everybody honors it except for one man, Achan. And Achan decides that he grabs some gold, and he's caught. He's caught. They do a process of elimination, and he's like, yeah, I know I did it, but... And they said, but nothing. You've cursed this community. And they bring him right there where you're looking, and they put him and his family in the middle, and all along the sides there... A million plus people, a few hundred thousand, depending on what biblical scholarship you think is correct, they all hang out on those mountaintops and they throw rocks and beat that man to death. And here God comes up to her and says, Gomer, I'm going to expose you. She's like, no, God, please don't. And I will allure you into the Valley of Acre, the Valley of Acre, oh my gosh, please give me another chance. No, you don't understand. I'm going to make your trouble an opportunity of hope for you if you'll repent if you'll stop doing that and start doing this if you'll turn in your behavior from this and begin to pursue me I will make your lowest hour and your dead end into a great opportunity and here's how the story ends chapter 3 after she is after she said what she says and God says what he says, how many of you ever have God try to speak to you and you're just like, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden the story unfolds and it starts happening the way that God tells the story. And here, after her lovers were done with her, they said, well, she's no good anymore. We've gotten the best out of her. Let's sell her and we can buy the next prostitute. She's standing on the block. She sold her high morality to the lowest bidder. And now they're selling her at the lowest moment of her life for the highest profit that they can get so they can continue to please themselves because they never really cared about her anyway. And in doing this for 30 years, I have watched people tell me how their story's going to end, but I can tell you how it's going to end based off of if the Lord's before you based off of if he is the love of your life, not perfection, but direction. And here she is, and she is at the auction block. There's not much left of her at this point. And they're saying, 
I have two, two pieces of silver. Two, three. Then all of a sudden somebody starts going five. Somebody goes six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fifteen. I ain't paying fifteen for that. She looks up to see who slave she will be. And she locks eyes with her husband. And he buys her back. This is the story of you and me. Because God doesn't love us for what he can get out of us. He loves us for who we are. He values us. And he didn't pay 15 pieces of silver for you and me. You weren't ransomed with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus. And I say this, I really feel moved at the Holy Spirit to say this again, but just to say this to you, if God were to look at your spiritual condition, would he call you his bride or would he have to refer to you the way he did as Gomer a whore? Because of the pursuits of your life, because of where he's positioned in your life. And here's the beautiful thing of the story is, is that though she was unfaithful time in and time out, she got redeemed by a loving husband who loved her not because of the pleasure he got out of her but because of the value he saw in a human life god loves you so much he knows what you're not he knows what you are and he wants to be written back in the story of your life i'm going to ask the worship team to begin to lead us in a song and as they do i want to give an invitation to you to come forward well, why, Pastor? Can't God touch me here? Yep. But you know what? There's something physical about repentance and getting our life right with God. If we can't walk to the front of a room, man, it's going to be a lot harder when we have to walk up to people and begin to say, hey, this is over. Can't do this anymore. And I really believe that at this place, at the front of this place this morning, God is going to give you what you need. I also feel led of the Holy Spirit to share something. I have nobody directly or specifically in mind, but I'm telling you, as a pastor, I pray. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to say? And, and, and out of his word, things will leap up. This is what leapt up in my heart. Please open your heart wide for this. Don't throw up your defense, but listen to me. God wants us to have a righteous life with him, and he wants us to walk straight in a crooked world. But sometimes we leave things half undone. She said this, she said, I will go back to my husband as other times before. That is not repentance. That's regret. And this is what I felt the Holy Spirit put on my heart. There are many of you here, or some of you here, or one of you here, I don't know. But your relationship and your marriage did not start off in purity. It started off in fornication, and in some cases, adultery. And you regret how that happened. But you never paused and repented and said, oh God, I'm sorry. I mean, you're sorry about the fact that you failed him and you've intellectually processed it, but you've never really fully repented. What does repentance look like? Psalm 51, verse four, David said it like this, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. You see, it's not just, oh, I've ruined my opportunity. I've broken this chance, but it's saying, God, I have offended you and you only because I know that I've sinned with somebody, but, but Lord, at the end of the day, the offense is really against you. Please forgive me. The son, the prodigal son who returned to his father, says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And David prayed it like this after a little more. In Psalm 51 afterwards, he said this, Oh God, please, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He's like, God, remove my life. Take the blessing away. You want my treasure? Take it. You want this? You, you, whatever it is. But God, please, don't take your spirit from me. And I believe there's a small shift in some of your lives that God wants to go back so that you can go forward. Maybe you're in those kind of relationships right now. Or maybe, maybe, most of you in here, it has nothing to do with that, but what you're chasing after, you're not in adultery, you're not in fornication, but you're chasing after things, and God's saying, I didn't die for you so that I'd have to buy you back on a block, but I'll do it. And I'll do it a thousand times over if I have to because I love you. But I need you to come to me. I need you to turn. I need you to put me before you. 
need you to make me the center of your life again. I need you to make me the center writer of your story. Stop putting me behind you. Put me before you. Acknowledge me. Acknowledge the blessings as they come and say, Lord, thank you because I'll bless you more. Acknowledge the things that need to change in your life because I know you're not perfect. It's not your perfection, it's your direction. And I believe with all of my heart here in this room as you come forward and you do business with Jesus vertically between you and him alone, God's going to give you a renewed grace. You're going to sense his love. There are some of you in here for a long time. It's been a long time since you've sensed the love and grace. He says, I'll lead you into the wilderness. And he says this, I will speak tenderly to her. That literally means that I will speak softly to her heart. God doesn't want to speak harshly to you today here. He wants to renew his love with you. And that's the invitation I'm going to give you. I open up the front for you to talk to the one who loves you more than anyone will ever love you, who loves you faults and all, that God would be your husband, that the Lord would be the love of your life, and that he would rewrite the story of your life in ways you never imagined possible. God bless you as you come. cherish that and treat it with love and respect. Help us to put you before us. Lord, I pray this week, as we go forward, this is a word that is going to be working in us. Lord, you're going to put your finger on some things that need to change. We just want you to know we love you too much to just suppress that and dismiss you. Lord, you're going to raise up some people to speak into our life and saying, hey, it needs to change. Lord, we're not going to dismiss them. Father, most of all, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and woo us back to you. And Lord, that it wouldn't just be an empty change, but it would be a spirit-empowered, overwhelming love of you because it is the love of Christ that compels us. We receive your love. Lord, we're loved here today. There isn't a single person that is unloved in this room. And you care too much about us, just like you did to me in that church. You cared too much about me to allow me to stay in the condition I was in. And Lord, I pray the same for others here, that no one would ever go through that kind of embarrassment or shame. You're not a God of shame, but Lord, you're calling us out. We don't want to wait for you to have to force that on us. We yield that to you. We just say to you, Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us for our waywardness. Forgive us for not cherishing you. Forgive us for, for chasing after things when the whole time you were
you're going to provide those things for us anyway. We want you to be the center of our life. And we yield that to you in Jesus' name. I encourage you here to continue to sit and pray, to be up here and pray, to pick up your kids. But let's just um, let the band continue and be uh, sensitive to people that are seeking presence. How many of you sense the presence of the Lord here? Listen, let me tell you something. This is a very prophetic word today. It's a strong word, but it is not a word without hope. Wherever you're at, if you're struggling with anything, God's message to you is not, I hate you. God's message to you is, I love you. And I want to change your life. Know that. Know that. But yield to him. Amen? Let's quietly and gently go our way as we do for those that are sitting here. Jesus loves you. Your pastor loves you. I'm praying for you. Keep these other people in prayer that were here this morning for all the things that God's doing. God bless you as you go. Thank you.